Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. It is wonderful, Lord, to praise you and worship you and to remember your loving kindness towards us, Lord, to look at your scriptures, to see what you say you would say to us today, Lord. I pray by the power of your Holy Spirit that you administer your truth to us, that you would set us free, Lord. I pray that you would grow us in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Pour out your Spirit. Bless us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, before you sit down, can you say hello to a couple people? That was a quick one. All right, well, good morning, everybody. How y'all doing? Good. You ready to get in the Word? All right, if you have your Bibles, uh, go ahead and take them out and turn to the book of Luke, chapter 4. And I have a few announcements for you while you're doing that. So can anybody tell me when our baptism is? That's why we do announcements. Sunday, June 4th, is when we are having our baptism, so I'll keep reminding you about that. And uh, the women's ministry is meeting tomorrow night, I believe, the last one for the term or semester or whatever. So um, if you haven't been and you're a lady, it's a good time to come and get acquainted, and then you'll be ready to go next time they start up again. Also then, Wednesday night, we are uh, in the book of Romans. We started last week, and uh, really, really just like for you, if this is your home church, to listen to our study from Romans um, Wednesday. It's, it, it's foundational, really, for our church. Very important that we're all on the same page as far as that goes, and Romans is just a epic book and I encourage you all to come out on Wednesdays for that we're going to be in chapter 2 and Lord willing chapter 3 so I encourage you to read ahead on that so that's Wednesday night night before that is Tuesday we have our simplicity ministry and uh, we have our men's ministry going on Saturday morning Um, coming up something we don't do every week but we do every year is we come together as a church on National Day of Prayer, which is coming up, and it's going to be May 4th. We're going to meet here at the sanctuary. It's a Thursday night from 7th, and we're going to pray. So I encourage you to come out for that as well. So with that, if I can draw your attention to the book of Luke as we get into the text this morning. We're going to cover the section of Scripture from verses 31 through 44 this morning. And this whole section of Scripture is one day of Jesus' life. And we get a picture of what it would be like to be with Jesus during this time. And if you were with Jesus, you would be seeing and experiencing this man that was on a mission to minister. That's, we're calling this message ministry. As we look at Jesus, we think about Jesus, it reminds me of what the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11, chapter 1, chapter 11, verse 1. Did you guys catch that? Okay. Uh, you, all right, you guys good? Okay. So Paul says this, He's, Paul says, imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. In other words, the Apostle Paul, and we just finished the book of Acts, and we're, he's like pulling us along with him. That's how it felt on his missionary journeys and on his service to the Lord. And I was exhausted just reading about going on these missionary journeys with Paul. But what he was saying is, I'm imitating Christ by what I'm doing, and I want you to imitate me as I imitate Christ. And so he said another statement, Jesus said another statement in Luke chapter 2, verse 49. He says, Jesus said, I must be about my father's business. And so we get an idea that 
when one is a follower of Jesus, that person is active in ministering the things of God to people. They they are prioritizing and they are consumed with ministry and serving. So we see that as Jesus would call his disciples, you you may remember in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus said to Peter and Andrew, he says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So what was he saying there? He's saying that there's something that changes, something that's different when one becomes a believer in Jesus Christ. They become one that is commissioned to be active in ministry, in ministering. So sometimes we have these categories and we call the quote-unquote professionals, we call them a, a minister. He's a minister. But we're all ministers. That's the thing. There, there's different roles and there's different things that God has called each one of us to do. But as a follower of Christ... There's the activity of ministry. And Jesus said that when he called Peter and Andrew. And he's he's saying, if you follow me, then you're going to be active in being fishers of men in the book of Isaiah. So go back to the Old Testament. When Isaiah, chapter 6, he gets a vision of the Lord. And as he's seen heaven and he's seen the Lord and He's seeing these angels fly around the Lord and they're worshiping the Lord. And as a scene is going on, Isaiah said, I I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And then I said, Here I am. What? You guys know that one. Here I am. Send me. So what we see from Isaiah is when we get a vision of heaven, what happens is, is then we begin to get a vision of our role on earth, our role as followers of Jesus Christ, and that's to be ministering to other people. We see the same thing in the book of Acts when Paul was converted on the road to Damascus. When he met the Lord understood who the Lord was, his first statement to the Lord was, Lord, what do you want me to do? Warren Wiersbe, well-known author, he wrote the B-series commentaries. Have you guys ever heard of that? B-E series? Really good commentary series. But he wrote a book called On Being a Servant. And he made this, uh, he wrote this quote that I think is really good. He said, Ministry takes place when divine resources meet human needs through loving channels to the glory of God. That's simply what ministry is it's God touching people and the world through those who he has already touched. Now, if we start to sort of get that in our head, begin to understand biblically, it's very abnormal, almost to the point where something would be wrong in a person's walk with God if they are not ministering to people. There's something not quite right because it does not correctly follow that one would be truly born again and transform inside and not see the need and the responsibility and the calling to minister to other people. Now, if that's the case, and we kind of get that settled, okay, I'm a believer, so I'm to minister. And what am I to minister? Talk about that today, but generally... We're to minister Christ to people. Remember, Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. So we're to imitate Christ. Now, the first thought of that, at least for me, is that's pretty daunting. If you go through the book 
of Luke, and before that we've gone through the book of Mark, and before that we've gone through the book of Matthew, and you see the things that Jesus is doing, and then he says, you go do that too. Well, for me, that's like, wait a second, I know me, and me is not like that. I don't do those things, and I'm not good at those things, and I'm so limited, and it's just not me. And that's good, because correctly understood, ministry is not to be done in our own strength or power, but in the power of the Holy Spirit. Ah, okay, so God's going to give me something that is actually an ability to do the things that Jesus did, to do the things that Paul did? That's right. And that's why he told the disciples after he died and rose again, he said, go and wait in Galilee and I'll come visit you. But he also said in Acts chapter 1, verse 4, he said, don't do any ministry until the Holy Spirit comes upon you. So that's the secret. The empowering of the Holy Spirit that Every believer has the Holy Spirit living inside of them, which means that we have this potential power that we must activate to do the things of God. And so then it becomes people who are just simply vessels of God working and using and pouring out in the life of an individual towards other people. And that's what it means to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. So that's what we want to look at. We want to sort of follow Jesus around, just sort of be in his back pocket, just be little groupies today, and, and just look at what was a day like for Jesus. And that's what we're going to do as we look at these particular scriptures. He's just ministering. So we're going to start off in verse 31. And as we, we look at this first little section, and if you're taking notes, there are going to be three particular things that we're going to be looking at. The first thing is that ministry, first seen in Jesus, and then extended through his followers like us, is that he gives us power over evil. Power over evil. So first power in our own lives over evil, and then secondarily, power to minister to others the power for others to have the power over evil. So let's, let's watch this. So in verse 31, he says, Then Jesus went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and was teaching them on the Sabbaths, plural. So that's a regular activity that he was doing. Uh, Paul, if we can put up the map. And then it says in verse 32, and they were astonished at his teaching for his word was with authority. So what's happening here? So we just, again, we just kind of stepped into the scene, something that's been going on. We left off last week where Jesus went back to his hometown, Nazareth. And when he was there, the attendant in the synagogue opened the scroll. And the scroll was, or I'm sorry, Isaiah 61. And he began to read Isaiah 61. And then at the end of that, Jesus said, I'm that. I'm the man. I'm the one that Isaiah 61 is talking about. And the people were blown away because this was a fulfillment of an Old Testament prophecy about 600 years, 700 years prior to that. This was the long-awaited Messiah that Jesus said, I'm him. I'm here. I'm fulfilling Isaiah 61. And they, they just were, were elated until they started to think about it. And they said, Is this, isn't this Joseph's son? And then they got upset because 
they were now equating him and lowering him to a human level and dismissing the complete fact that he is God in flesh, that he is truly God. And so they actually tried to kill him. They, they threw him out of the synagogue. They tried to throw him off the cliff, but yet he escaped. And he then, this is where we pick up the story. So from there, he went, it says, down to Capernaum. So if you notice on the map, at 11 o'clock, if the Sea of Galilee was the center of the clock, about 11 o'clock, you'll find this town, Capernaum. And the reason it says he went down is because the elevation difference. You'll notice around 8 o'clock and a little further out, in between Sephoris and Nain, in A-I-N, right in there you'll see Nazareth. And so Jesus went down in elevation from about 1,200 feet at Nazareth to about 680 feet above sea level to this seaport town called Capernaum. And it was a city of Galilee. So you notice on the map, you notice that's where most of Jesus' ministry occurred, right around the Sea of Galilee. And this town, Capernaum, if you could put up those slides of Capernaum, Paul. This is a town, in an ancient town where you can visit the ruins now. So you can go to Capernaum. And Capernaum was the place where Jesus sort of set up shop. This is the, where Jesus operated from. This is where he stayed and then went out from to minister around all those areas around the Sea of Galilee. So you'll notice in that picture, they actually discovered a synagogue there. And that synagogue that they discovered, you can walk around, it's mind-blowing. The size of it and um, the, uh, how, how it was maintained and preserved is just mind-blowing. And you get a sort of an understanding of, of what it was like when, when Jesus was there, when this was occurring, when, when Jesus actually went to this particular uh, synagogue. But they, they found this synagogue's a, a, a third century synagogue that they discovered, but the one to where Jesus ministered was right underneath that. So it would have been right there where this synagogue was. There's a couple pictures we, we can show you up there. And you can see these ancient ruins. But Capernaum then was a seacoast town it was the, the, where Peter and Andrew lived. And it was right off the coast, right off the sea. There's the synagogue there, the backdrop of that. And it, it, it's interesting because there, this was a place where there's three major highways or thoroughfares went through this area. So it was heavily trafficked. And that gives you an idea why the size of the synagogue that you're seeing there, there's a couple more slides you can put up, were the size that it was a big synagogue. So there's a synagogue in Magdala that we go to as well, an old um, first century, probably the one Mary Magdalene was in, where Jesus would have been in. And you see, that one's much smaller. The synagogue at Capernaum was very big. And so here's here's Jesus. He's, he's coming from being... Um, almost killed, and he comes down, and he comes to this place called Capernaum, which is right on the coast, right on the Sea of Galilee, and as he's there, he does the same thing. He goes into the synagogue again, and, and it says here in verse 31 that he was teaching them. So his, his routine would be go, to go into these synagogues, which, by the way, a synagogue was simply a place for Jewish people to worship because not all of them were able to go to Jerusalem where the temple was. So if a village or a town had 10 adult males or more, they were able to have a synagogue or their own place where they can worship there. And so Capernaum had a place like that. And Jesus would go into these villages and he would teach and preach there. And so notice he didn't get discouraged from being in his hometown and being run out of town but he just kept on his course. He just went somewhere else, and he did the same thing. He wasn't deterred. Very similar thing that we see with Paul. As Paul was imitated Jesus, he would go around on his missionary journeys, 
and he would face heavy opposition almost everywhere he went, and he would just keep going. He didn't let those things stop him. Because ministry is such where we are to stay the course. (coughs) Ministry is such where we're to keep our focus, we're to keep our goal of ministry and not be deterred. And so as Jesus is teaching, it's interesting, why did he teach in the synagogue? That word teaching is didasko in the Greek, which means he's expounding on the scriptures. So he would be expounding on the Old Testament scriptures because they didn't have the New Testament scriptures yet. So he would go and he would expound on the scriptures just like we're doing here. And why did he do that? Well, we find that he did that because he loved the people. And he told Peter, if you remember, in John 21, verse 5, he said, Peter, do you love me? And then he he said, yes, Lord. And then he said, feed my lamb, or feed my sheep and feed my lambs. So the emphasis was if, if, if you love people, you're going to teach them the word of God. That's what Jesus did. So when he went in the synagogue, and remember on another occasion in John 8, 32, Jesus saw the multitude, I'm sorry, Matthew 9, 36. He saw this, uh, a large multitude of people and he had compassion on them because it says they were weary and scattered as sheep having no shepherd. In other words, he was looking at the mass of humanity, in particular the Jews, but we can just say this to the mass of humanity. He's looking at and just say, these people are aimless and they're lost and, and it's, they're, they're so tired and worn out. And the reason is they have no authority. They have no direction. They have no truth. So everyone's just doing whatever they think is right in their own eyes. And it's one big mess. And these people are going around like, zombies trying to find meaning and purpose and Jesus felt bad it says he is he was moved with compassion because they're like sheep without a shepherd and so when he comes into the temple or I'm sorry the synagogue when he goes in there the best way he knew to love the people was to teach them the truth to teach them the word to give them the proper authority in their life And that authority is an authority above themselves, above their feelings, above their emotions, above their experiences. It was an authority that John 8.32 says, the truth will set you free. So that's what he wanted to do. So that's why he goes and teaches in the synagogue and expounds on the scripture. That's why we do that here. So as he's teaching them in verse 32... They were astonished at his teaching, for his words were with authority. So just, you know how, on, like say, for example, Sunday morning, it's easy to just kind of get into a routine. And it's every Sunday you wake up, do what you do, and you come to church. And you're not expecting much. You're just expecting to go through the routine of this is what I do every Sunday. This This is what was going on in the synagogue. And I hope that's not how you are, but that's what was going on in the synagogue. And we are all prone to just be so so much enslaved to this routine where we can almost be like robots. It's like subconsciously doing these things without actually interacting with God. This is what was going on in the synagogue. So they come in, they're sitting down, they're going through their, their... things that they do, the, you know, the reading of the scripture and the expounding. But it says, when Jesus got the opportunity to speak, they were astonished with his teaching. That word astonished, I love it. Ekpleso, ekpleso. And it means to expel by a blow, to strike with force, or... A good way to put it, to be slapped in the face. So they're all cruising around, probably eyes half mass, barely hanging on, and then Jesus begins to speak, and it feels like they're getting slapped in the face. Blow. 
And, and it was because he was teaching with authority. So they never had anybody in their synagogue that would come and teach with authority. What does that mean exactly? So all the rabbis who would speak during that time, they would simply quote other rabbis. They would never have their own original thought or idea. They would read the scriptures and they they would say, well, this rabbi thinks this, this rabbi says this, this rabbi says this, and leave it at that. Even here, we are appealing to the authority of God's word. That's different than what they were doing. They were appealing to the authority of men's opinions about God's word. So Jesus begins to speak, and what, when he was speaking, he was saying things as the source of everything. Not as one who was quoting different people who had different thoughts. He was speaking as one who made all the rules, who made all the things in the rules. He was speaking as the very source of truth, not quoting different people with different ideas about the truth. And so it felt like they're being slapped in the face. And it's interesting because I think that's how, when, when you go to a church that teaches the word, and I, people have told me this before, it can feel like you're getting slapped in the face. It can feel like you're offended or mad. And I just want to tell you, don't shoot the messenger. And if you're feeling that, that might be a good thing. Because it, it may be the Lord waking you up because the truth is powerful. And He may be waking you up to your true condition to get your attention for what you really need. And that's why I love about the Word of God, because that's what the Word of God does. The Word of God presents a reality regardless if we like it or not. And most of the time, our flesh is not going to like it. But what are we going to do when we are smacked in the face with the truth? There's a tendency to want to smack back, to want to be angry back, or to avoid, or I don't want to go hear those things. I don't want to go to church like that. I want to find a place that soothes my ears, kind of tickles and makes them feel a little better when I go. But that's not what Jesus did. Jesus brought the truth, taught the truth, and the people were awakened to the truth. And they said, this is an authority he's teaching. This is different. The pure truth, every bit of it coming out of Jesus' mouth was the absolute, unadulterated, untainted truth. And it was hitting their ears, which ultimately hit their consciences. So in verse 33, and you have to think if that's going on, there has to be an effect. Something has to happen. And there was. There was something that happened. There was a man in the synagogue, verse 33, who had a spirit of an unclean demon. And so there's a slap in the face. There's an awakening of the things of darkness who are trying to hide. And no doubt this Man, the people in the town of Capernaum would know who he was. He might, like you, have a special spot that he sat in every week. And there he is. And he's quiet and just does his thing. Nobody thought much about it. But as soon as Jesus came near, as soon as the truth of God began to pierce the darkness of the day, there cannot be anything but reaction. And so this demon shouts out. It says he cried out, which means he screamed. And when you think of a scream, that seems like a pretty loud noise, right? But it says he screamed 
with a loud voice. You know what loud means? Mega. You know what voice here means? Phone. That literally, that's what it translates. So he cried out with a megaphone. So he's in there and Jesus is teaching and all of a sudden he starts freaking out. The demons, a spiritually unclean demon of darkness can't handle the truth of God and the power of God. Darkness can't handle it. And as he's crying out with a megaphone scream, he says five things, which I find very interesting. So just, just picture this. Just be, imagine being in a service like this, and then somebody just starts freaking out and screaming. And he says this. He says, the first thing he says, let us alone. Let us alone. In other words, this demon doesn't want to have anything to do with Jesus. He just wants him to go away. And this is a very common reaction to those who are under bondage to darkness or in their sin. They just want Jesus to go away. You may go to some place where you're sharing Christ with somebody or maybe a friend or a family member or co-worker and they're just gonna, they just want you to go away. Stop talking. I don't want to hear that. I've been in, on hospital visits where people on their deathbed, I come and, and visit with them and of course I'm going to share Jesus because they're about to go be in eternity. And I've had people curse me out, push me out, kick me out, not want to have anything to do with that. And they're about right about to die. Right about to meet their maker. But see, that's uh, someone who's under the influence or in bondage to Satan. They don't want to have anything to do with Jesus. So they just sort of leave me alone. When one is operating in the dark, they don't like to be exposed. I find it fascinating that many gentlemen's clubs or even nightclubs or bad places that people go to do bad things, it's always real dark and shady. Not that I know personally, but I've seen it on movies. But the, sin wants to hide under darkness. Right? And, and, and if you were in a, a club, you went to the Electric Cowboy in Louisville, which I know none of you have been there, but I've been by there. And people are in that club. It would be weird if all the lights were on. People wouldn't want to do what they're doing. They don't, but, so they turn the lights down. Because darkness does not like light. Darkness cannot handle light. So the first thing is, let us alone. And do you remember in, in Matthew 8 when Jesus encountered the two demoniac people in the gatherings on the other side of the Sea of Galilee? And one began to speak. One of the demon-possessed men there said the same thing. What have we... This is what the demonic... Demoniac, the demon-possessed man said, what do we have to do with you? The same thing. So there's a common thing that's happening. So the second thing that is said by this demon is, not only go away, but what do we have to do with you? So the second thing just tells us, light has no fellowship with darkness. need to really understand that because a lot of times, even as Christians, we can have the idea or the wrong understanding that, well, I'm saved, so it doesn't matter what I do. And so many who say or think they're saved will go on living a lifestyle 
of what they were supposed to be saved from and to continue in the darkness. Where in reality, there's no, there's no connection. Light has no fellowship with darkness. It's, it's either one or the other. And this is being uh, expressed here by the demon. And then he says, the third thing he says is Jesus of Nazareth. So that means that this demon knows where Jesus is from. He has an, an understanding of who Jesus is and particularly where he's from. And the fourth thing is, he says, this is interesting, did you come to destroy us? So what does that tell us? That tells us the demons know that Jesus has ultimate power over them. It tells us that it's, it's not this like epic cosmic battle like sometimes we see with superheroes and things like that where where the good and the bad are fighting it out and duking it out in this cosmic struggle. It's not like that. It's not like that with God and the devil. God is in absolute, complete control and power over the devil and does what he wants and what he wills. God is old, His ultimate power is greater than the enemy's power. And this is expressed by what the demon says. Did you come to destroy us? So why did he say that? He knows that ultimately that's what God is going to do. God is ultimately going to destroy Satan and his demons and cast them into the lake of fire forever. So this demon is saying, is this it? In Matthew with the, uh, Matthew 8 with the demoniac, the demoniac actually said, this is not our time. It's not time for you to destroy us. So the, the demons and Satan, they know that their end is going to happen. They know that their fate is in God's hand and he is in absolute control. So that, what that means is that we have to understand that we have power in Jesus. We need not fear evil or darkness because we have Jesus. And Jesus will ultimately destroy all evil and darkness in due time. The fifth thing that the demon says is, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. So the demon has good theology. He recognizes Jesus and understands, he, he, he categorizes him or or gives it this, this attribute towards him of he's, he's holy one, the holy one, the ultimate holy one. And so in verse 35, it says Jesus rebuked him. And he said two things back. He said, be quiet. And he said, come out. So here Jesus is exercising his authority and his power over darkness, over evil, this evil that has been tormenting this individual through demon possession. This individual has been controlled by this demon. This demon has authority over this individual's life. And it wouldn't matter how many pills this person took how many doctors this person went to, how many therapists they went through, it wouldn't matter because only Jesus could defeat the evil of this man. He needed Jesus. And Jesus deals with you like this, be quiet. In other words, shut up. You're done. Don't say another word. And then he says, come out. And notice it's just... His words. So this gives us an understanding of how powerful God's word is. When he says something, what? It is. When he says something, it is. And so he just says, come out. He didn't have to wrestle him out. Or you see in movies and things like this, this whole process of exorcism and they're like fighting and doing all this stuff. Jesus says, just says, come out and he's done. Over. But notice what the demon does. He gets the last little 
nudge. It says, when the demon had thrown him, the guy he was in, in their midst. So he comes out and he like shoves them. He gets his last little shove in. And he says, it came out of him and did not hurt him. Verse 36. Then, as you can imagine, they were all amazed and they spoke among themselves and they're saying, what a word this is. Can you imagine that church service? It says, for with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits and they come out. And the report about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. And so Jesus in Capernaum, he teaches, he provokes darkness and the power of darkness and his power sets free an individual from bondage so this is the power over evil this is the only power over evil and this is the power that God gives his children his followers first in their own life if you're a believer He has set you free. You're no longer in bondage. Satan no longer has a foothold. And he wants you to go and also share with others that they can be free from the bondage of evil in their life through the power of Jesus Christ. The second thing is then Jesus has the power not only over darkness and evil, he has the power over sickness and disease. So they go right from the synagogue. Another place in Capernaum, you can, you can go to where Peter lived, actually, and look down. It's down underneath uh, the surface there, and they have this place where Peter lived. And it's a very short walk. We're talking feet from the synagogue to where Peter lived. And then you're talking yards from where Peter lived to the coast where he had operated his fishing business. So now they go from there. And remember, this is all happening in one day. They arose from the synagogue and they went to IHOP for breakfast after. No, no, just kidding. So they arose from the synagogue and they entered Simon, Simon's house. So they're probably going to or lunch after synagogue. Simon is Peter, of course. But Simon's wife, wife's mother, Peter's mother-in-law, was sick with a high fever. And they made a request of him concerning her. What was their request? No doubt. Jesus, will you heal her? Luke, who's writing this, is a physician, and he's using a very precise word when he says high fever. They had a a high fever category and a little or a low fever category. And obviously, the high fever category could lead to death. So this was a very urgent situation. And so they asked Jesus about her in verse 39, so it says, He stood over her and rebuked the fever. Again, what does that mean when he, he's, he's just using the words? How powerful are the words of Jesus? Did He speak the world into existence? Did He say, let there be light and there was light? The word is powerful. Why? Because it's truth. And there's power, not only in the name of Jesus, but in the truth and the word of Jesus. And so Jesus just stood over, stood over and he rebukes the fever. That word rebuke is the same word that was used where Jesus rebuked the wind and the waves when the disciples were going across the Sea of Galilee and the storms were contrary and they're about to die from the storm. 
and he just said, stop. And he rebuked the storm and it stopped. Now he is rebuking this fever and it says, and it left her. And then it says, and immediately she arose and served them. This is an amazing response. A lot of times, at least for me, probably you, I'm sure too, if you've had a fever, like a high fever for a couple days, it takes like a few days to like get back into the swing of things, at least for me. But So this shows the ultimate healing power that as he healed her, he made her 100% immediately. And this is how the miracles of Jesus are. They're not through these processes. It's just when he says something, it, it automatically is. And her response is something amazing. So she begins to serve. That word serve is where we get our word for deacon. It basically just means she began to wait, wait on them, to serve them. So immediately when she's able, she's using what abilities and faculties she has to, to begin to serve. But what we see here is Jesus heals Peter's mother-in-law. We see why we are healed from our sin and sickness spiritually. And really, this is what this is a picture of. How God heals us from the worst possible sickness we can have, and that's the sin disease of our soul. And He heals our sickness and the sin disease of our soul for the purpose then of serving Him, of ministering to Him. And this is exactly what she immediately did. But that's not all. Because when you're with Jesus, there's a lot of action. So from here, 40, it gets a little later in the day. It says, the sun was setting and all those who had any that were sick with various diseases. So that's a lot of people. Brought them to Jesus, and He laid His hands on every one of them and healed them, and demons also came out of many crying out, and saying, you are the Christ, the Son of God. You know what this tells us? The answer is always bringing people and things to Jesus. And when we understand that that is the problem of the world, it's not political, it's spiritual. And when we and know that to bring people to Jesus, that's our ministry. And to bring Jesus into a situation, to bring Jesus into a home, into a workplace. Do you think it's any wonder that many of you are told you can't say anything about Jesus here? Even in your schools? Don't pray, don't talk about Jesus, don't bring a Bible. Can you see that that's demonic? It wasn't the demons the ones who said, let us alone, go away? So what do we see in our culture? It's heavy, isn't it? It's a spiritual battle. It's, it's dominance by evil. And that's why it's so important for the people of God to stand firm on their convictions and bring Jesus into the environment. You know what's interesting? Capernaum is just ruins because they rejected Jesus. Nazareth, you can go there, nothing. Many of these cities around the Sea of Galilee where Jesus went and ministered, nothing because they rejected Jesus. Didn't want Him there. And that's why we see what's going on in our society. It's no mistake. It's no accident. It's a spiritual battle. It's spiritual warfare. And you can track how 
how God has been pushed out of society and how society has gone since God has been pushed out of society. And that may be, but as for us, we can't let our light be hidden under a lamp or a bushel. We must allow the light of Jesus Christ to shine wherever we go in whatever situation we're in. And so we have to ask ourselves, do I hide Jesus? Do I hide him? I go, go to church, but then I go to my work and I just keep Jesus hidden. Well, I'm going to tell you that's the problem. Too many believers are hiding the only hope for the world. The only hope for your fellow students, your co-workers, you're the only hope. And so it's interesting, this demon says you are the Christ, the Son of God, while many of the Jews are denying him. So the demons know and receive Jesus and who he is even more than the children of God and even more than many people in our society that we know. Did you know that human beings are the only creation in the world that are atheists? Do you know that all creation obeys God? Right now, the wind is obeying God, the tides are obeying God, the sun is obeying God, the moon's obeying God, the birds are obeying God, the squirrels in my backyard are obeying God. They're all doing what God has set in motion. And the one difference is human beings, we've been given, given free will. So imagine all creation obviously worshiping God. It's, it's so obvious. It's written on our hearts. It's written in creation. And yet human beings are only one, ones that exercise their free will to say there's no God. Even though God is holding the very breath that they're using to say that. The very synapses in their brain that think that. God has given them and made them. So even the demons here are confessing Christ, not to salvation, but knowledge about him. And so it says, And Jesus, rebuking them, did not allow, allow them to speak, for they knew that he was the Christ. And James 2.19 says, Even the demons believe and shudder even. So how crazy is it for someone to reject Christ? God has written that knowledge on their heart and their conscience and lives in a created world that screams that there is a creator. So what do we glean from that? The biggest thing is now we understand Jesus is demonstrating that he has power over evil, but he has power over sickness and disease. And primarily, this is given to us for us to understand that He is the healer and the only healer of the sickness, the spiritual sickness of our souls. This speaks of atonement. This speaks of redemption. This speaks of God being able to heal us through His Son, Jesus Christ, to make us whole in Him. And then finally, we end this on this little section. Jesus ministers the Word of God. He ministers the Word of God to us, and He calls us to minister the Word of God to other people. So in verse 42, it says, Now when it was day, Jesus departed and he went into a deserted place. This was Jesus' secret. He went away to be refreshed, revived in the Lord to be with his Father. So as he goes to a deserted place, the crowds, and remember, he's healing all of them. They're bringing all of them. He's healing all of them. This is after a long day. And now he's going to just get some time with his father and the crowds are following him. And they came to him. 
And they tried to keep him from leaving. Why did they try to keep him from leaving? It's because they wanted him to keep doing physical miracles. But that's not why Jesus came. In verse 43, it tells us why he came. It says, And he said to them, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also, because for this purpose I have been sent. And he was preaching in the synagogues all around Galilee. Wow. Think about just the ground that we've covered. Just think about the miracle of Jesus when he was in Nazareth. We talked about last week, passing through the crowds miraculously so they didn't kill him. That was a a, a miraculous event where he's passing through the crowds of people that wanted to kill him. Think about the evoking of the demon inside of this man that nobody even knew was a problem or an issue, and the demon comes out, and then he, he casts out the demon. And then he, he heals in an instant Peter's mother-in-law. And then he heals all these people that are coming, every single one that's coming to him. He's praying, healing them, casting out demons, all of them. And he said, this is not why I came. It's not all about this. Why? Because if I had a backache and I prayed and Jesus healed my backache but I still went to hell, it wouldn't be worth it. I'll take a backache over going to hell. And so Jesus is saying, these physical things that I'm doing are for you to know the power that I have over evil, the power to heal your sin, And now the word of God is what is needed to go out. Think about the emphasis that God places on the word of God. Why does he do that? Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by what? The word of God. So don't ever let someone or yourself push the word of God out. The Word of God could be used as a barometer to dig, to tell you how you're doing in your own walk. If you haven't opened your Word of God in a few days or a week, then that's a barometer to say, hey, you're starting to slip away. But not just reading the Word of God, it's doing the Word of God. But Jesus says, hey, I'm not going to stay here and just be a glorified miracle guy. It's not about that. It's about eternity and the message that I have. He's saying this message that I have, this message of the kingdom of God, which he's talking about this spiritual, eternal kingdom. He's saying this message, when one receives this message, they are eternally changed forever. Their sins are forgiven. Their Eternity in heaven is secure, that no weapon formed against them will prosper, and now they are called into the ministry of Jesus Christ to minister the word to other people. So think about that. Are you ministering the word of God to people? They don't need people don't need to hear another pep talk, another political answer. People don't need to hear another psychological discourse. They need to hear the Word of God. And the Word of God contains the power of God to break the bonds of evil and death in a person's life. The Word of God is what God has given each individual miraculously you think about what it's taken for us to actually get our word of God and he's given us his word of God to live our life by to feed our spirit to grow our faith and to know him deeper and more personally the word of God we hide in our heart so that we don't sin against God what a powerful powerful word we have 
the Word so powerful that Jesus said, these miracles you're seeing, they're nothing. i got to preach the kingdom of God and the Word of God. So if we put this all together, we look at Jesus and we think about Paul said, imitate Jesus as I imitate Jesus. So it comes down to ministry. First, Jesus is ministering to us by the power of the Holy Spirit. He's ministering freedom from darkness and the power of darkness. He's ministering health for our souls and our spirits through the blood of Jesus Christ. And he's ministering the word of God so that we can grow in our relationship with him. And he's doing that to us if you're a believer. I love the ministry of Jesus to me. He ministers to me. He's my counselor. He's my all in all. He's my everything. He's all I need. He's sufficient. He's good. Too good. I can't even handle it sometimes. But then he says, my ministry to you, minister to other people. There's people that need Jesus. Wouldn't you agree? Minister Jesus to people. And if you're a believer, realize your life on earth now is to be a life lived to be a minister of Jesus Christ. For the love of Christ. And I believe that's 100% what the world needs now. And God has called us to do that. So may, may we ask for the power of the Holy Spirit. And may we be open to God using us to minister the love of Christ to other people. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for my brothers and sisters here and those listening online. I know there's so much in this particular section of Scripture. We thank you for your word. So amazing to have the truth in our world that's so confusing that Satan has such a foothold in and on so many people's lives, Lord. I pray that we would have uh, just a very clear biblical view of things now, Lord, as we're being hit with so many philosophies of the world and attacks on the truth and false understandings. Lord, you say the end times will be a time of deception. But thank you that your word is a lamp unto our feet, Lord. Thank you that it gives us the way, the truth, and the life. And I pray for anybody here this morning that they would take serious, Lord, their condition before you. I pray for anybody who may be spiritually dead, Pray for anybody here this morning that's never received the free offer of Jesus, of forgiveness of their sins, so that you may be free from your sin and the bondage to Satan. If you're here today and have never received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you can do that right now, right where you are. Just cry out to Him and say, Jesus, forgive me, I'm sorry. Forgive me, I'm a sinner. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and help me to walk with you, Lord. I pray that you'd open our eyes to our true condition. I pray for anybody here that just may be in a place where they are a Christian, but they're going through the motions, Lord. They're in a dry place. Their Bible is not open. I pray that you'd revive their hearts now, Lord. I pray for those who are going through a difficult time now. 
that's really struggling, filled with fear maybe, filled with anxiety. Lord, I pray that you'd dispel the darkness, that you come near to that individual, set them free from whatever fears they may have that Satan is trying to snare them in, Lord. Lord, whatever the need is, just as we have seen in your scripture that they brought all to you to be healed, I pray that we had all come to you for whatever it is we need healing from, Lord. That we'd come to you now, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, that you're so kind, so loving, so forgiving. You tell us to come to you all who are weary and heavy laden, and you will give us rest, Lord. May we come to you now, Lord. Let's all stand, and we're going to worship the Lord. If anybody would like prayer this morning about anything, if you would like to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you've never prayed to do that, just come forward as we sing this last song. If you have prayer about anything else, we'll have our prayer teams up here, my right. And left, just come on up as this last song. God bless you guys. Jesus loves you. Let's walk with him. Let's worship the Lord. God bless you.